Welcome to the new Dalcrosian, the first podcast discussing the work of Emile Jacques Dalcros as practiced in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Molinaro. I'm Lauren Hudson. And on the podcast today, we've got a great interview with NAFME, Council for General Music Education Chair, Rob Lida. It's a really fascinating conversation about music education. Be sure to email the podcast here at uh, thenewdalcrosian at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook at The New Dalcrosian. Uh, and uh, rate and review five stars. Hey, Lauren, what's going on? Anthony, hello. It's going. How are you doing? Great. I mean, you're, uh, I think you're underselling it. I know you've had a lot going on in these past months. I can't <laughs> wait to dig in and find out all about it. First of all, congratulations on your graduation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, as our listeners um, have heard several times me talk about my graduate program that I just completed at Case Western Reserve University. Very grateful to be done. Congratulations. Um, grateful to have done it, but of course, all stressful things must come to an end. Oh, yeah. And so, so yeah, so I'm done with that. And I just came back from teaching in Alaska for a week. Oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. So you were teaching up there, huh? Yeah, so I was invited to teach at a um, Suzuki Institute. So Suzuki Strings, um, there was also guitar and Suzuki flute up there. And so I was invited to come up and teach for a week during their institute. And it was uh, students ages four through 18. So Amazing. a pretty wide range of students. Amazing, what an opportunity, how cool. Yeah, it really was, I, I enjoyed it. Um, one of the things that I was, uh, thinking about as I went there, you know, it's been a, a, quite a while since I've taught students that were not mine, just mm. based on the, the pandemic and doing these types of um, travel, travel to teach type opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I, I actually went back and listened to an episode that we did with Stephen Neely, one oh, of our, our getting started episodes, because I was just feeling like, how am I going to reach these, especially teen students mm -hmm. who haven't, some of them may have taken it when I went in 2019. I went to this institute in 2019. Oh, okay. But who have never taken Dow Crozier Rhythmics before and who might be walking into the classroom a little wary of what's about to happen, mm -hmm. right? So it was really cool for me to be able to go back uh, to that episode. And I'm wondering, is it okay if I share the four things that I kind of took away Please. from that episode? It was, it was Please, great yes. for me to be able to go back and listen to that. And I encourage our listeners to do the same. So, it's a great episode. I went, I went back and listened to it not too long ago, too, because I, yeah. I, 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 there was something that they triggered in my mind as well. But yeah, tell me, what, you, what did you take away from the Stephen Neely episode? Yeah. So there, there were four things that I wrote down for myself in my lesson planners as things that I was reflecting on as I was getting ready to teach this first day of, um, of this age group, right? So a, a majority of the students that I taught at this program were ages like 13 to 18, okay? Okay. Um, so number one model big, right? So that age group especially needs to see you do whatever you're asking them to do and not just model it, you know, whatever, really show it, 
really mm-hmm. show it, model it like big. Like times 10. Yeah, exactly. And then if they do like a quarter of that, it's perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> okay, so you, that was number you one. Gotta already, you got to already adjust for that. You got to be like, okay, they're going right. to probably do half of what I do at least, so I got to do double. Exactly, exactly. So model big, okay? Number two was be authentic. Yep. Right. They that that age of students especially can can tell if you're not being totally authentic of who you are. And as soon as you are authentic, they come to recognize, oh, yeah, this is how this person is. This is really how they are. And by me being myself, by the end of the week, I could be playful with them. We could be silly. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I had to really be authentic from the beginning. OK, so that was number two. Number three, own it. That kind of com- comes with the, the model big, own it, right? So um, own whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then number four, be consistent. Yes. Right? So yeah, those were four things as I was planning for this week, like the night before that I went back and listened to it because I just needed, everybody needs a little bit of inspiration sometimes, you know? Yeah. We just, we all need that. You know, we were just, uh, we were just talking about it before that we recorded, but, uh, that like this idea of having Dow Crow's friends, right? It's like, you need, you need, we don't get to spend enough time. We're all spread out over the country. And so maybe, you know, maybe what we're doing here is we're providing a little opportunity for people to have these Dow Crow's friends to just, uh, kind of learn from and be inspired by. I'm glad you said that because I've got several opportunities this summer to teach at camp kind of mm. situations and, yeah. and, yeah. um, and a couple of them are more teen oriented. I'm going to, I'm going to take, uh, take your four things and, and, and run with them as well. I think that's uh, really great advice. I, what I was thinking about with your Alaska trip, Lauren, as I was knowing you're teaching the way that I know it, I pictured you finding all kinds of stories and imagery to pull out of your Alaska adventure <laughs> to evoke movement. And, and I, I just thought, I thought in my head, I bet Lauren's got a ton of Alaska based story lessons on the horizon. Did I get it right? <laughs> well, I would say f- for my future teaching, yes. In That's the what moment, I mean. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I sent you a picture, Anthony, of uh, one of my new favorite types of animals, right? So, I remember this. Yeah, tell <laughs> yes. me about it. So, my new favorite type of animal is the musk ox. The musk ox. They are, they are, they are, they are so cool looking. Oh, they're so special. If you (laughs) listeners go look at a picture of a musk ox, they are so cool. They're actually related more to goats than they are to cows. Interesting. Um, So they have those cloven hooves. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just, uh, they're lovely creatures. They're very hairy, Mm -hmm. very lazy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, they survived the ice age. So that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Anyway, I, I'm, I am planning a future lesson plan with muskox as well as, you know, in Alaska, there's a lot of different types of trees than there yeah. are around here. All of the trees are really tall and straight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the winter, there's not a lot of light at all. So they have to be able to survive this like 20 hours of darkness. Oof. During the winter and then lots of light during the summer, of course. But 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking of planning some type of enchanted forest with tall enchanted birch trees. Enchanted forest with the tall trees and mm-hmm. the musk ox. And the, I can yes. p- picture the musk ox moving in a certain way. Oh, I yeah. I can already picture your musk ox walk. I'm, I'm, I'm so <laughs> looking forward to hearing about it. I'll tell you what, we'll put up some musk ox info on the Facebook page if yes. people want to check that out. I'm we'll, happy uh, to provide that. We will make sure that they say, and I know you're a hedgehog person too, so it's like hedgehogs and musk oxes. Yeah. You, you pick yeah. your you pick your favorites and you roll with them and I like that about you Laura. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Own it. <laughs> yeah, you got to have, you know, gotta you got to have it. your you got to have your people, you know, or your animals so to speak. It's great. Uh, it's fantastic. All right, cool. Yeah. So Lauren, on the podcast today, we we had a great discussion with Rob Lida, uh, who was somebody I didn't know, but he is the chair of the NAFME Council for General Music Education. Um, And if folks don't know, NAFME stands for the National Association for Music Education. And uh, and Rob is uh, uh, from Alabama. And he's a, mm-hmm. a, a, a real interesting guy. And we, it was really cool. So, you know, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring on uh, somebody from NAFME um, to talk is because I think that, you know, like obviously like Dow Crows gets grouped in in this music ed discussion, you know, in music ed circles as sure. one a methodology. But but I don't there's many Dow Crosians who are not really involved in like the larger music ed community. Yes, that is true. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, and it's one I wanted to explore with Rob and also kind of explore with you a bit, yeah. uh, because I am sort of, you know, I am a, a public school journal music teacher, um, and right. Right. Um, so I'm squarely in the, you know, the the uh, the bullseye for the music ed conversation, but you I'm are. also, yeah. you know, involved in the Dalcros, intimately involved in the the Dalcros community, and and That's so right. figuring out you know, what is the crossover and where is it that the, that the general ed and general music ed community can benefit from our perspectives? And also how can we benefit as a Dalcro's practice from, um, you know, a broader discussion about music education? Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, we, we become so much more relatable when we can have that discussion that straddles both worlds. Like I, I I feel like for me, I've mostly taught in community music settings. Mm -hmm. Now that I've done this, um, degree, I, I have been in a public school, several public schools, and I understand a little bit more what that feels like, but it's certainly not the world that I know the best. Yeah. Right. But, but we have to be able to talk about both those worlds, especially like for me, when I teach, um, teachers during the summer, if I'm only teaching them in a way that I know as the way that I teach in community music settings where, you know, the environment is extremely controlled and I have close contact with the parents at all times and, you know, all these different yeah, things, sure. yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's going to limit the reach of the practice. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think about it, I mean, sometimes I think about it as a little bit like a moral and ethical imperative too, because I believe that the Dalcro's practice is, is really beneficial for students. Of course. And, and I believe that it's really important that we try to bring this, the benefits of this practice to the broadest 
you know, group of people that we can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so my interest in, in music education kind of comes from there as well. Like I also teach at Carnegie Mellon at a, you know, music okay. academy yep. with musically interested students who are self-selecting and whose parents are very supportive, et cetera, just like you said. But then I also teach in the public school right. and it's right. a very different kind of teaching. Right. And so mm -hmm. figuring mm -hmm. that out, there's some calculus to be done there is to, is to where, where can Dow Crow's Unique Dalcro's principles, where are they useful to the broader music ed community and where are, and, and, and what parts of them are, are useful? And I, I'm not, I think all of it can be, but it, it's, it's a really fun conversation for me. And it's really like the pro, my project lately is trying to work that out, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen some of your Substack um, materials, Anthony, and it's, it's, cool to see you working through that and and other people seeing your content yeah, being like yeah 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 that's you what know. this that substack is about if people don't know i'm, I'm writing a substack at musicxt.substack.com people should check it out if they if they're interested in it's really me kind of thinking out loud and figuring mm -hmm. out like okay so here's how i do it and kind of sharing and trying to 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 figure out what parts of that are useful to people because sure. you know i mean it's a, a wide variety of people who get into music education, into teaching music in schools. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, maybe not all of them are exposed to the Dalcro's method at all. And, and maybe not all of them are, are thinking about it in the same way that we are. But I, I think that there's, you know, there's a benefit to our way of looking at things for folks. And, and I'm curious as to what they, what parts of that that they might resonate with and pick up. And, and I'm getting all kinds of interesting feedback about that. So it's really a fun project. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we talked about with, with Rob, that was a real interesting conversation. And I wanted to expand on for just a minute was um, about uh, this kind of notion that's kind of prevalent right now about catching kids up. Because mm. there's a feeling, and I don't know if in the community music school, it, there's the same sense. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. get the same sense in mine, but that, that the kids are behind mm -hmm. um, and there's this urgency to get them caught yeah. up. I'm hearing that sure. from my music teacher friends and general education friends, right? My colleagues in my yeah. school, there's a sense that the kids are behind. And um, we talked about it with Rob. And so, you know, I don't want to to go over the same kind of things, but I think it might just be worth it to ruminate on that for a second because it's, it's uh, now that the school year is kind of over mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm reflecting, I just think that we as music teachers need to really think about the students first. I think we might just have to let go of what we thought these kids should be quote unquote able to do mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are standards. Yeah. And I guess what but. I'm saying is that like those, those standards are going to have to shift to a certain degree because we, we, it's just different now. So mm -hmm. it's like trying, it's like the kids are in front of you. I love one of the things that just speaking of earlier, we talked about Stephen Neely. One of the things Neely always yeah. says is like, just start where, start with where they're at. Like start, start with what they can right. do. Right. So like right. something we can all do. It, yeah, let's just yep. start with where we are and then see if we can move a couple steps forward, you know? Yep. And, yep. and Dal Crow's education is so, you know, good at that, mm -hmm. you know, 
And moving from the no, the known to the unknown. Yes, that right? was what Neely said, and that's a great quote. I, I, yeah. I, I've heard that other places too, but yeah, that moving from the known to the unknown. And right. that's what I'm talking about, right? So it's yeah. like this yeah. idea that we have this artificial goalpost that we have to get to mm-hmm. and scrambling to get there, it just never works. I, I love what you right. say. It's like, a pro, it's like a process, right, that we need to be focused yeah, on. Yeah, it's all a process. Yeah. It is. It really is. And I think the fact that the Dalcro's work uh, focuses so heavily on the process over the product is really refreshing for a lot of people, but it's also kind of a new concept. I mean, it's, it's, it is and it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, teachers know that process-based learning is important, but I think we can all sometimes get stuck in that end result, that product of like, ta-da, I've done it, yes. you know, like that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially with end of year programs, performances, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. I, I just had my end of year programs and- um, Yeah, I was gonna ask about that, oh, how'd yeah. they go? Well, you know, so, this is exactly, this is a great thing to kind of, to, to add to this conversation because like, honestly, if I was grading them based on the curve of like what I have come to expect over many years of teaching from like a performance, uh-huh. I would yeah. have given them like a B minus or a C plus, like, okay. you know, but given the circumstances that we were in and the fact that I hadn't done them for two years. Yeah. Some of them had never even done a performance most before, of them, right? Like yes, they, they had no had idea what that felt like. Ever. And, yeah, yeah. and, and then like we weren't allowed to sing for some number of years and yeah. they, you know, the, yeah. everything. And we had masks half of this year and you know, the masks have been a barrier to, to and music, music teachers will, will relate Absolutely. to that. They've been a super barrier for progress in, in a lot of ways, but that, that, uh, you know, all those things considered, who cares what this, what I imagined that they should be able to do based on what I've done with first graders in the past. Mm-hmm. It was magic because the parents were there and they were so full of joy to watch their children. And the children were so proud of themselves. They had never done anything yeah. like this and they got up and they did it and it was beautiful. And it was, uh, it was what it was. And yet, you know, it was everything. So, so <laughs> I, you know, it, it, like if, so if I'm thinking about what they should be able to do and I had, and I'm holding on to that, I'd been disappointed in the concerts, but, mm. but mm. I have to let go of that because guess what? Yeah. I couldn't get done what I normally think I should have been able to get done. Sure. I, sure. They weren't singing in perfect polyphony. They, they, you know, their movements were sometimes a bit, Oh, uh, you know, restricted more than I would want. And, and, you know, the, some, it, it was, there was a lot of things about it that I thought were a little subpar, but, but it was, it was a rousing success. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can only imagine those parents oh, yeah. looking up at their child and seeing them. And I think honestly, it like really, it, I, I want to, I was reminded about how important those concerts are from an ab- mm. from an advocacy standpoint as sure. well. Yeah, those those programs as a advocacy and as a um, as a you know recruitment in a way of of your stakeholders of yes. your parents and your admin and and all of that. That's important. Um, we had for the first time this year. I had a, a community open class for my mm-hmm. community music students and we had I joined the older students and the brand new students together Wow! and it became so apparent 
the, the differences and the maturity of these older students, you know, older meaning they're eight right, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they've been taking for three or four years, you know, versus the four year olds. Um, the, the development that you could see in those older students and the confidence and the musicality sure. and the excitement of the younger ones getting to, to move with those mm. older students. And I think for the parents, that was so powerful, especially the new parents to see like my child could, could do that. Mm. And that's, that's their future. If I continue with this. That's great. Uh, and I think, I think for, for programs like that too, that's the same thing. You know, if a first grader is looking at a fourth grader, of course, they want to be that fourth mm-hmm. grader. Oh, yeah. Um, so th- there's there's so many benefits. Yeah. I could talk about this all day, but let's, uh, I, and we do get into some of this with Rob. So, um, so yeah, let's get, let's into, get it. into it. Here's the interview with Rob Lida. I'll give you a little backstory to, to how we got in touch with you, Rob, as I was, um, I really wanted to have somebody on from NAFME because I think that, you know, in the Dalcros community, obviously, you know, there's a lot of crossover in our communities here. You know, many Dalcrosian teachers are members of NAFME, but many aren't. Um, and um, I thought it was, it was an interesting uh, sort of opportunity to do some outreach with NAFME and, and um, kind of uh, also, uh, you know, hear what, is going on uh, these days in NAFME. I mean, it's been kind of an eventful year in music education. Um, so, uh, so I just wonder, I mean, I think maybe first it might be useful if you sort of introduce yourself and maybe just like a brief uh, background and um, you know, how you've come to music education and how you've come to NAFME. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Rob Lida and I am the chair of the council for general music education for NAFME. Um, this is my 21st year teaching I've taught everything from kindergarten all the way up to undergraduate. Um, I, you know, I, I'll be honest, how I came to music education, I tried to run from music education as fast <laughs> as I could because my dad was a band director. My oh, uncle my was too. a band director. Mm. And so, you know, I grew up in band rooms and I thought <laughs> of all the things in my life I don't want to do. Um, I didn't see myself doing that, but in it, it was in high school. My high school band director, like many other people's stories, was just a um, impactful person in my life, and I thought this is something I might want to do. So, um, so like I said, I tried to run from it, but it caught up with me. So, um, <laughs> but uh, when I first started teaching, I was a, a, a six through twelve band director and taught band for about twelve years. And um, and then went full time general music. And that's kind of where my heart always has been uh, since my first methods class in college, where um, I discovered that I really enjoyed teaching younger children. Um, and, uh, you know, once I got the opportunity to move full time into a general music position, it was um, that's just where my first love was. So uh, the, the NAFME part of the question um I can't remember not being a member of NAFME because I remember the music educators journal coming to the house Mm -hmm. and uh, thumbing (laughs) through those magazines and looking and seeing the pictures and reading articles as a kid about music ed. So um, when I was in college, that was just seemed the natural thing to do was to join the collegiate NAFME. And so um, and or at the time it was MENC. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, join collegiate MENC and then. Uh, started down that path and held several leadership positions while I was a college student in MENC and then, um, you know, have held several leadership positions at the state and national level moving up. So great. And uh, how about your current role, the chair of the Council for General Music? Is that what it did I get that right? 
Yes. So yes. what's that? What's that council? What's that all about? So really, we represent all general music teachers around the country, no matter what your your background is. If you're a Dalcros teacher, a Kodai teacher, ORF teacher, or if you're just an eclectic mix, um, we're here for you. So we represent, um, you know, a little bit of everybody. And so and we look at general music, really, um, our council's role is defined as general music being pre-K through eight. Uh, but um, we, uh, the council members, we really look at it as it's birth to death um, because there's some form of general music that happens or we, we hope that you'll participate in music education beyond, um, you know, your your maybe high school or college days. And um, so we really look, we focus mainly on um, elementary and middle school general music, but uh, we really look at general music as being a birth to death, uh, you know, endeavor, or at least we hope it is. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I, I, I think of NAFME as a, as a, in a bunch of different ways, but I, I really think about it as an advocacy organization. Um, you know, obviously they provide a lot of community and uh, a lot of opportunities for professional development as well. Um, but I really think about it in terms of advocacy. And so is that, is that a piece for the, of this council? Or are you thinking about advocacy for general music ed in, in the like larger ec- education ecosystem like how 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 do you think about the the role for advocacy uh that's a really good question you know advocacy is an important role that uh NAFME fulfills uh both at the the national level and then helping to empower our family of state associations and doing advocacy work in their their individual states um but you know Advocacy is not really our main mm, okay. um, call. Uh, we provide professional development. So we through the pandemic, uh, you know, like how I'm talking to you now over Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. Zoom really this was revolutionary before the pandemic. And now this just seems uh, like part of everyday life. And so we've done a lot of webinars uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. We, we tried to do um, webinars on um, how to continue being um you know, an ORF teacher or a Dalcros teacher in the with the confines of COVID-19. And we actually hosted a, a webinar uh, specifically with for ORF and Dalcros. Um, and we uh, also put out some we did some advocacy work where we put out a um, guidelines for teaching drill music with uh, COVID-19. to, mm-hmm. and, and that was mainly advocacy, but it was also to help our members see some um, ways they could actualize the the CDC recommendations and the aerosol study recommendations um, in real music classrooms. But really, we focus mostly on professional development and um, empowering our general music leaders. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, some people are a member of like the Dalcros organization um, and not NAFME. And we really want to see where we can marry those two together um, and where it shouldn't be an either or, but it should be a, a both um, because we we are providing um, similar resources, but we're also providing different resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the the, um, the advocacy piece and the professional development piece, I think, are, are somewhat intertwined because when I think about advocacy, not only do I think about sort of the political and, you know, institutional arguments that need to be made. But I also think about access, right? And I think that all of this new technology that you referred to has been very helpful in making the kind of training available, maybe in places where it hasn't normally been. In the Dow Course practice, we talk a lot about 
Dalcro's deserts, which are maybe these places in the country or in other countries where they haven't historically had, you know, uh, this kind of training uh, be, you know, available. And the technology has really helped with that, right? So we can um, offer uh, any kind of online um, workshops and seminars and webinars that are that have been really helpful in sort of increasing access, which I think trickles down to the kids, right? Because if we do a better job at exposing teachers to these concepts, it'll hopefully uh, offer better instruction. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that that concept of, you know, Dalcro's deserts. I think every one of our states has a general music desert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have or deserts, um, you know, like in, in my my home state of Alabama, I'm very lucky to teach in a school system where we have music education K through 12 in all of our schools. But if you drive to the next county over, there might be one general music teacher that serves um, six schools or there might not be general music at all. And the first experience with music education uh, that kids would get would be banned when mm-hmm. they join whatever year the beginning band is. Um, and, and we see that with vocal music. We see that with um, especially in, in uh, I think, in the South, a lot of orchestra education. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But general music usually is the it's it's very much a. Um, I don't want to use the word frill because I never thought of it as a frill, but it, right. it's it's right. it's a frill for a lot of systems yeah. it's if they have the money. Um, and, and that's one thing. Uh, and I think nationally, uh, NAFME has really been working on um, with a lot of our um, equity work that we've been trying to mm-hmm. look at some of our diversity, equity, inclusion and access and looking at the the equity that kids have access to all different types of music education in the access. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, I think when we, we had a leadership meeting not too long ago and, and we, that was one of the concerns that some of the general music leaders around the country brought up was the access to profession development, because for some of their members, they'd have to drive four five, six hours to get to an urban center in their state. And so looking at ways we can, uh, harness the power of technology, to allow general music teachers to be at home and not have to um, sacrifice a Saturday driving, um, you know, or a Friday evening to to engage in in quality professional development. Yeah, it's, Lauren, I wonder, you know, in your, um, you know, in your graduate studies that you're just, uh, you know, completing, it, this 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 is like a constant like thorn in my side, this idea of music as a frill, right? Music as an extra, like, oh, oh, that's so nice that they have music. Oh. And, and like, uh, I, I mean, I, I wonder, obviously, it's, I think it's something that the, that the uh, music ed community has been <clears throat> fighting for generations. Uh, and uh, I just wonder if in our current moment, if there's not an opening for music ed to take on a larger role in the school ecosystem being something that, you know, it can provide social and emotional opportunities, can provide community building opportunities, <clears throat> things that I think, you know, coming out of this, out of the pandemic and all of this, uh, you know, this con- not contribute to tumult that we're in. I wonder if there's an opening for music ed to enter the, the wider conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, like all of these, you know, SEL stuff are, are it's all very important and becoming more and more of a thing that is present in our classrooms. And Anthony, you and I have talked about before, like some of those things that, you know, teachers are proposing at your school. You're like, well, I already do a lot of that in what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so, 
you know, I, I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I think, you know, music education, uh, you know, let's take the education part off of it. Sure. I mean, let's yeah. just talk about music in general. I mean, sure. since the dawn of time, human beings have uh, gravitated towards music. They found ways to make music for various reasons. And so I think that music has always been situated to uh, fulfill a, a multitude of roles in our life. Um, and it can fulfill a multitude of roles in our educational institutions also. Um, one of the things that I think that we really have to be careful about is um, right now with the political climate and the polarization sure. um, in, in our country, um, you know, some of the things that we, we might want to latch onto are now being considered taboo, like you mentioned uh, SEL. And mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. in some areas, um, SEL is becoming a taboo subject. Um, really? And so I, th I think and so oh, just for our, for our listeners, if they don't know, that's social emotional learning is SEL. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so and, and I think, you know, there's there are um, there are some discussions that we've always had in music that we've always talked about that, yeah. um, you know, married themselves well to some of these um, like social emotional learning and other approaches. They've always been there. We've always done these things. Um, it just is unfamiliar to people. And so I mm -hmm. think education on our part is going to be a, uh, um, essential component. So people don't just see three random letters and, mm -hmm. and they're scared of three random letters. Sure. Yeah. It becomes a buzzword, right? And it, it has all these associations with, you know, whatever tribe you're part of now, if you're, if you're into SEL, then you're subscribed to some ideology that's larger than what we're even talking about. So we do need to be careful to say that, you know, what I'm talking about is that, you know, music has a quality of emotional expression in it inherently. And, and in my estimation being part of the public school for as long as I have, like there's a piece there that's, that's very valuable that, uh, you know, I, I just, I just think if we stand on that a little bit, it, it, it can be, um, you know, it, it could be an advocacy tool that is, you know, I, I think there's an opening in, in, in the culture for that. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but right. Well, in, in the social aspect, I mean, sure. part of my philosophy yeah. of education is learning as a social enterprise that we do Agreed. with other people. Yep. And so the social aspect of making music, I mean, um, one of the things that I ha I did before the pandemic and I'm looking forward to, we're about to start back in my community is I did a community, I, I facilitated, I don't want to say I did, that sounds sure. egomanical, but um, <laughs> I facilitated a um, community um uh, ukulele ensemble. Oh, cool. And mm -hmm. so I had people that some people had never had music in school mm -hmm. and they just saw the advertisements on Facebook and, and whatnot. And we had we bought some ukuleles and we had them for people to try out and take with them and check out. And, you know, we had people that were 16 years old all the way up. Our oldest member was 91 years old. Oh, wow. And and it was just a great um, social time. We came together. We played music, sang songs. You know, we, we talked about what was going on in each other's lives. So that social aspect of music, that that it's a it's a group of people coming together with different experiences, different um, viewpoints, different thoughts and creating something in you, you know, together. Um, I, I think the social aspect, and that's one thing the pandemic did really rob from, from mm -hmm. us yeah. for a while. Yeah. And I think that, uh, focusing on that social, that social part of, of making music, that's, that's the power. That's mm -hmm. where the power is in music.
Yeah, Lauren, how do you think about the social aspect of the Dalcro's work? I mean, we we talk about it openly as a goal and, a, and as something sure, that we're, we're sure. shooting for. What, how, do you, how do you think about it? Yeah, well, there's two things I wanted to mention about this. So, so one of them, yes, I think that social aspect of um, we are learning about music and through music with each other. And through each other, we have a deeper understanding because we have different perspectives and that we can hold both perspectives in one idea and compare them and, and contrast them. Um, and that the social aspect of it, I think, is what makes it that much more joyful and fun for us to experience with someone else. It might be fine to play piano by yourself or ukulele by yourself in your room, but how much more fun is it to play ukuleles with 20 other people, you know, right away, like you can't help but smile. Um, and then it also reminds me of a, uh, a situation, a story recently. So Rob, I'm completing my um, master's in music education and my undergrad is not in music ed. So I'm doing uh, student teaching as part of my master's. Um, and we did a, uh, in my co-ops classroom, we did a folk dance for the first time in second grade where we held hands. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. And it was such a big moment yeah. because they've probably like not held hands with another kid. Either in second grade. Like, they probably never second have. Grade. Yeah, they probably never they have. They probably never have. Right. And we're like, and reach down and take your neighbor's hand. And it was like, a like, Huge, <laughs> you know, like, Huge. Yeah. it was really touching in a way, you know, mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, my gosh, like they have never shared this moment of touching and moving one direction and moving the mm -hmm. other direction and singing a song together. Um, and it really hit me like, wow. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I have similar stories with, you know, because like you, Anthony, you mentioned uh, with them being in second grade, they might have never. I have a second grade personal child oh, that lives yeah. in my house that I also mm -hmm. teach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kindergarten was very hard because they had a normal year. And then all of a sudden, spring break, bam, the world ended for them. And, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I can remember those early days of the pandemic, my little girl waking up and saying, Daddy, are we going to school today? Mm -hmm. And or when are we when is spring break going to be over? Yeah. And <laughs> so there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of things that um we, we forget that our kids didn't get to experience. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, I, I had the same, Lauren, you mentioned the folk dance. I mean, yeah. I had the same type. I pushed a cart in like many teachers across oh, the country yeah. into classrooms last year and had to figure out I couldn't take instruments in and they couldn't share yeah. things. And having to figure out how to um, teach elementary music with them confined to their desk. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I never will think I think I never will forget the moment we played instruments for the first time <laughs> this school year and and they held mallets yeah. and they heard that first sound on the xylophone and glockenspiels and just the look on their face and just the pure joy that radiated from every child in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think in some ways the pandemic, you know, well, in a lot of ways, it was it was miserable um, for just and I'm talking about a music education. I don't want to diminish right. the the anything that the pandemic took from from us, you know, globally. Right. But um, in music education, I think the pandemic gave us a moment to pause and and reflect on what was important, because there were so many things before that our energy went into that really were not the major things that we should have been focusing mm -hmm. on in music ed. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that those joyful moments of folk dancing and playing instruments and and moving and um, not being confined to one space uh, there. This year has been um, it's been hard, yeah. but it's been magical in, in getting to see kids um, yeah. really um, 
come to life in the music yeah. classroom in ways that they weren't allowed to last year. Yeah, just a few uh, weeks ago, um, we had for the first time in as many years, like a full chorus rehearsal on the risers. I had been seeing my chorus just in like small groups of 10 kids or something. And then, uh, you know, and then uh, finally we were like, let's have full rehearsal. So we had this full rehearsal and boy, I mean, I, I wanted to openly weep. I mean, when they sang all together, you should just have seen their faces. They were just, they were completely in love with it. And it, and I hadn't seen, I, I had forgotten. I think we might've t taken some things for granted, but I had, uh, and I think the children might've taken some things for granted as well. And, and to, to not have that moment of raising our voices together for, for years, and then to have that beautiful expression all at the same time, it was a lot. And there was a woman in my room, like a uh, aide who came with another student and she was just crying. Like she, it was like, it was like <laughs> this beautiful uh, transcendent moment. And so I can definitely speak to that, that sort of deprivation of the, the whole reason we do it, you know, and uh, you know, uh, trying to prioritize that right you know and one thing i think that we've got to um remember there there's this rush in our educational ecosystem to you know l combat learning loss and catch kids up and and mm -hmm. and we i mean we hear this all the time from different groups and yeah there are some academic things that kids probably you know missed out on they're behind but um but you know i, I think it's important for us not to rush back and and on social media, I don't know if, if you've read on some of the music teacher Facebook groups or, you know, there's a, a great frustration in our teachers and there's a great frustration um, and a tiredness that that's there. And I think some of that frustration comes from we want to get back to how it was before mm -hmm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, the analogy I've used with some groups that I've spoken to has been, you know, if if I can't pay my mortgage payment this month, the chances that I'm going to have an extra mortgage payment next month are slim to none. Um, so, you know, we'd, I'd have to pay a little on time, you know, a little each more each month, but I wouldn't have the full, you know, so uh, mortgage payment. So, so I would say, instead of trying to make up an entire year and a half of instruction in the little bit of time we have, or we've got to catch these kids up, we've just really got to look at where our kids are and give them what they need. Yeah. And, yeah. and that joyful music making, um, that might be what they need right now. And then we can work on some of the, um, you know, the other things that we've missed over the, the pandemic and, and sneak them in sure. little bit by little. Yeah, I just had an interaction sure. on Facebook with a teacher who was saying, oh, these kids are, you know, they, why, why is it that the, my first and second graders still want to do this, the, the, what she called babyish games, um, mm. you know, and, and I wrote and said, I think they're craving gentle and beautifully simple experiences, probably because the world is fast and loud. And perhaps we should just provide them what they're craving. If they want to play the simple sing-song game, just let them do it. It feels good and that's what they need. Instead of trying to, like you said, catch them up in some, what does that even mean? I, I'm, I'll get fired up. Wait, I'm gonna slow down because <laughs> I'm gonna get fired up. <laughs> But that, that, you know, be there for them in that moment. If they want to do the singy-songy, beautiful little experience where they can unclench from this, like, assault that they're under, then let's just do that. Oh, yeah. You know, 
that it's funny because um, a lot of states have passed laws over the years with reading and math, and my mm-hmm. st- I, my state's not immune from this. And we sit through these meetings. You know, how many times do music teachers sit through meetings and think this has nothing to do with what I do? Um, <laughs> and a lot of those are the catch them up and the, um, you know, if a kid is having trouble in reading or math or and they, I, you know, I don't want to really use the word hate, but if they hate reading and math, the way to make them hate it more is to make <laughs> them do more of it and in it to be just that drill down on them, you yeah. know, type instruction. Um you know, so yes, I think, you know, and, and this goes back to that advocacy, you know, part that we talked about earlier, you know, we've got to advocate for our programs that our kids need music education. They need to be in our classrooms. They don't need to be pulled out. They don't need to be caught up at the expense of music education. Yes. Um, because like you said, Anthony, I mean, the kids are craving, they are craving experiences with other human beings they're craving um i think familiar experiences um they're craving the structure i was yeah i was just about to say structured experiences the structure that music education can provide so no one should try and negate what we do as music educators we're we are just as important as any other teacher in the school uh rob you're singing from my songbook Oh, man. You know, I mean, it's so much bigger than just like, oh, do they know what a quarter note is? Do they know what the Italian words are? You know, do they know this and that? It's just so much more than that. In fact, that stuff matters so little compared to what's going on in their little hearts and in their little family lives and in their communities. And, (laughs) you know, music is like the place where that can be, you know, curricularly addressed, you know, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things... I, I hate to take the the conversation towards standards, oh, um, but okay. you know, Go for it. one <laughs> Go of the for things it. that because you you either love them or hate them. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that's great about our new national standards is it it gives the student voice mm. a place in the instruction, and and I think sometimes we forget that um, you know our students need to talk and they need yeah. to interact with us, but mm-hmm. in more ways than just in our instructional ways, um, and so. One thing I that going back to that idea of catching the kids up, one of the things that I did before the pandemic and, I, and I've been doing in a lot more since we've been allowed to sing again is I have singing conversations with mm. my kids. Mm. And so they can tell me things and I have like a focus question, but they have we to sing too. it to me. Yeah, yeah. And so it's amazing the things that they will sing to me and they, you know, they will share with me. But. Part of that is it also gives them a chance to have the floor mm-hmm. uh, for their peers to listen. And, you know, and the the kids have been great with it, but it also gives me an insight into what they're thinking. Yeah. And, you know, it's an easy way to assess also. So, oh, yeah. um, so I mean, it, it just checks a lot of boxes, but, um, but I do think our kids need that opportunity to um, interact with um, an adult. And, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and especially a lot of times our our kids view us as an adult that cares about them. Mm-hmm. And so having that interaction, and sometimes it's hard for music teachers because we might teach 600 students, yep, that's what you I know? Have. And so, um, but you know, I, I hope that music classrooms are places where students feel safe, they feel at home, they feel welcome. And um, music teachers can fulfill a great role in kids' lives um, of being that caring adult that, that someone that's an advocate for the kid and the kid knows that mm-hmm. they have on their side. Mm, that's such a good point. 
Yeah, Lauren, I saw your post about that, that little conversation, your little uh, question and answer. And I, I like the, the wrinkle of it that you had that was interesting is that you asked them like yeah. a simple two part, like a two choice they would have between two things and then they would sing back yeah. which one they, yeah. would. and that's actually a nice wrinkle because then you're not putting them on the spot to come up with something. You've given them the, the, the options. Sure. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, you know, it, it's, it, we have to choose a question. So first of all, I, I got this from my beloved, um, co-op teacher who's a Kodai teacher. Yeah. It's a Kodai thing. I've seen that. Always, kind of thing, yeah. yeah. She, she always poses a question and, and we sing, um, the pitches that they are currently learning, the solfege pitches that they're currently mm-hmm. learning. So it's different for each, um, grade level. Um, and choosing the right question will get them really excited about answering. Yeah, like yeah. you wouldn't believe French fries versus mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. oh my oh, goodness. Yeah. Like, controversial. You know. This is controversial oh. topic. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh man. I, you um, know, and I'm actually not sure where so. I come down on that one. I got to think about it <laughs> a little bit. Oh man. Mashed potatoes though. I know. When, <laughs> and when you fries. present it, you have to make it like, you know, like you just d- are dying to answer. And Rob, like you're saying, you know, like they will sing back to you and sometimes it's a child who like has not even talked to you or offered something to you, but they really want to answer the question. They want to have mm-hmm. their voice heard in that moment. And so they sing back to you to answer the question. Well, and I think it's important. I, you know, um, I don't know if your, your students do this, but when I'll give a child a chance, sometimes I'll say, oh, they don't speak English or, oh, they, you know, sure. the kids will. And, but I always give everybody a turn. And um, the uh, ESL teacher, English speaker of other languages, mm-hmm. for the ones mm-hmm. of you that might not know that, another three letter. Um, That's right. I, you know, I, the ESL kids always participate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. because I feel, I, I think that, that they feel safe. They feel mm-hmm. it's a safe environment. And so... Um, you know, it, it, giving it that kid, giving kids the space to feel safe. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I, I can't singing conversations are great. You learn a lot about your kids in them. So mm. that's great. Well, w- one uh, topic we haven't really brought up with you yet, Rob is, um, what is the place in your thinking of, of movement in the classroom? Cause we come from a, a tradition of the body is the primary instrument and we learn through movement through music. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, because um, my first training is in Orf Schulwerk. And so uh, movement is part of the uh, process of teaching. And so I, I always have um, when I have student teachers um, or interns, I always start with we talk about the process of teaching and we start with speech and then move to body and then move to the instruments. And so um, movement is, I think, another one of those um it's it's like seeing it movements personal um, movement is can be scary um, uh, for a lot of people. And I know from my ORF training that um, when I took ORF levels, a lot of people would talk about how scary movement was mm-hmm. because you're putting yourself out there and, and everyone's watching you. And um, so, yeah, I think movement um, and, I, and I'll be honest, I, I do have to say this. When I first started ORF Schulwerk training, movement was the piece that was the the kind of you know the why are we doing mm, this i get that um, yeah, for, for, it, i like that it didn't it didn't make sense at first but then when it all clicked together and i saw it as part of that natural process and we all move anyway and um and we move in different ways for different situations and then i began to see the benefit of movement mm. um and so in my classroom um, you know, I have a movement vocabulary um, word wall. Great. And so we choose from those those um, when we do movement activities and we have some movement activities that are 
very structured where there's a certain way that you want to move. Like if we're working on a pathway or, um, or if we're going to work on say staccato, staccato versus legato, sure. um, we have certain ways. And, and I have to say, I also teach K2. So, um, mm. I, you know, I, I do early childhood music ed. Um, and so, yeah, movement is part of the instructional process. I mean, it, it's part of that process of teaching of, uh, before we touch an instrument, you know, we're going to, if it's a rhythm, we're going to speak it, then we're going to move some way to it. Mm-hmm. Or if um, I'm teaching form, movement mm-hmm. is That's great, always yeah. my go-to for form because it helps the kids focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, movement, I I, I don't know how, um, I mean, I guess you could just sit and, you know. No, I hear I, you. I, yeah. I, who it would be wants boring. to do that? You know, who, yeah, yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, exactly. So yeah, once um, I think no, you've started eh. teaching these concepts through movement, you're you'll be sold. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're through through you know more broadly through experience. How can we create an experience using our voices and our bodies that allow us to remember and apply what we're doing rather than just you know be able to say, well, Mr. Lida told me this, so that's what it is. You know, like right, right. That's, well, that's and I think stick with them. The, the the beauty of all of our different approaches to teaching music um, is that they are all in their own way active music making approaches yeah. or active engagement approaches, yeah. and I think that's the thing where the magic lies and where we can find the commonality is the active parts and where they overlap. I think they all overlap Great, beautifully yeah. mm-hmm. in their own mm-hmm. ways. Um, you know, because if you, you know, with with Fire Robin being our newest approach that's mm-hmm. kind of come out. I mean, there's there's a lot of of, I, I, you know, I don't think he would agree with me, but there's you can see some Schulwerk in there. You can see some Dalcros. You sure, can see sure, some sure. there's yeah. there's Kodai in there. Oh, a he's a Kodai so, guy, right? Like, he's, he, like yeah. a, exactly. he's like a master Kodai teacher. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that that active engagement and in their own unique ways, mm-hmm. um, that's the beauty of the different approaches. The one thing I wish we didn't do is, um, and I don't know a lot of people that do this, but I do know some that form our camps, mm-hmm. you know, and we say, oh, I can't do it any other way because I am a, but, right. you know, I, I think it's it's good to, um, you know, because I'm an orphan Kodai person. So I sure. mix the two, you know, it's, oh, yeah. everybody does, oh, yeah. you know, I mix yeah. the two. Everybody does. Yeah, I, yeah. We've just been having a lot of conversations with folks from those other organizations and, you know, we're really working on. And, and creating more um, you know, cooperation and sharing, yeah, between and our overlap. organizations yeah. to try to to uh, to try to bridge those. There, I mean, I don't really think there's much gap, really. It's just about you know, it's about the 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 you know, the pedagogies are different, but the the ultimate goal is really very consistent, and we all can help each other, and I think we should. And and going back to the the work of the council for general music education, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we really would like to do more of, and we've been working. F- working towards over the last couple of years. And we were working really um, heavily before the pandemic and then the pandemic mm-hmm. really shifted our focus and p- kind of pulled the rug out for un- from underneath us. Um, but we really wanted to um, look at ways that we could engage all of the yeah. different organizations uh, in in general music education, yeah. um, where we could engage with um, Orf Kodai, Dow Crows, Fire Robin, um, music learning theory, um, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. we could engage so they weren't seen as these separate entities, but, um, you know, where we could come together. And so one of the things that we're looking at, another piece of work that we um, 
uh, the council works on is music in our schools month. We create the lesson plans for music in our schools month and, and work on that. Right. And several years ago, we we shifted the focus from the Sis Boom Bob world largest concert, um, you know, one product to looking at general music as a process and inviting people in to see your process of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can see the process and then see the, the, the end product. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that we've talked about with this year's music in our schools month is we we want to reach out to our um, other music organizations and see if we can get some really um, exemplar lesson plans from a Great. Dow Crow's viewpoint or we a Guy's point or a You're talking to the right viewpoint. people. <laughs> yeah. That, and and so we we wanted to we would, you know, have our our music in our schools month lesson plans that we we produce, but then also to look at having a you know one that is specifically from a mm-hmm. Dalcro's um, uh, you know approach, one that's specifically from ORF. So so that way there's something for everybody, um, no matter what your yeah. teaching approach is, and um, and then also it provides you know there's there's also some mystery to some of our approaches mm-hmm. um, where Very people. Much so. Yeah, people yeah. don't, they, it's sort of mm. like the Wizard of Oz that, you know, they <laughs> yep. see it, but they don't really understand the man or the woman behind the curtain. That's and true. so, and so just pulling back that curtain and letting people see a good quality lesson plan, um, I sure. think would be beneficial in, in a lot well, of ways. Well, I'll definitely be in touch with you on this topic because this is something I'm interested in as well in, in this, uh, the, creating this collaboration. It's a project I've been working on as well. And so I, we should maybe work together on it. That'd be great. Yeah, that sounds yeah, so great. I'll uh, definitely be in touch with you on that. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is probably a good place to bring it in for a landing. So, um, where uh, where should people go if they're interested in this council for uh, uh, for general music and where, where direct some folks to be able to find your work and, and where they should reach out to you? Yeah, so um, if you go to the uh, NAFME website, www.nafme.org, um, there's a tab at the top that's for teachers or for researchers. Mm-hmm. There's several different tabs and. I hate to tell you where to go because our website is undergoing uh, a, um, oh, a refinement, and so <laughs> so it's going to change. But if you look um, <laughs> for the Council for General Music Education, or if you Google NAFME Council for General Music Education, it should take you to our landing page, and there's contact information for myself as the chair, and then we have divisional representatives um, for each of the divisions in NAFME with their names and um, contact information. If you want to reach me directly, you can just email me at lidarob at me.com. And that's L-Y-D-A-R-O-B at me.com. Hey, it was a pleasure to meet you, Rob. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we got a lot. Uh, great to yeah, meet you this, this has been great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The New Dalcrosian is a production of Hellero Creation. Email us at thenewdalcrosian at gmail.com. Rate and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook. 